Center needs your help. Our center is struggling, must apply to an ancient form of practice, the begging bowl. Give what you can, large or small, one time or many. This time, the letters also went out to wealthy people. So the whole burden isn't on just us. Russell Hall and a few other deep pockets people. So don't feel the burden is all on you. But it is our center. And how it flourishes or doesn't flourish is up to us. But there is a problem. I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys or Us kid. I don't want to brush my teeth. I don't want to make my bed. I don't want to clean the room. I don't want to go to work. I don't like the sharp edges of life. I think everybody's a pain in my ass. I'm an angry adolescent. I'm furious. I'm discontent, I'm malcontent. I want to kill. I hate and I want to kill. Ha! Ooh, did I say that? I'm a Buddhist monk. <laughs> I don't want to grow up. get an addiction. I'll drink whiskey. I'll take drugs. Endless sex. Food. Religion. Whatever. Then I don't have to deal with all this madness. The trouble with this stupid Zen practice is it makes you deal with reality. Hmm? And eventually you keep practice and you can wake up to the fact that you're a living Buddha. Now what are you going to do? Now what? Huh? <laughs> oh boy. Hmm? We don't read stories about the Buddha going to the local general and getting shit-faced. You know? <laughs> he woke up to the fact that I don't think this is going to work. But I do see things that are out of order. Hmm? Things are out of place. Here we are, four years later, longer than the Second World War, still going on. We're into the second trillion, almost up to 4,000 dead soldiers. <laughs> Ships are more over. Have a surge or two. <laughs> hmm? Things look out of whack. 
what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about this? So they say, sit cross-legged, follow your breath. And for the first half of the practice, there's a heroic attitude. Very rinse And if you don't behave, they pop you on the head. Very disciplined, very strict. It's essential for the first half of the practice. A heroic attitude, a heroic ego, but it won't take you all the way. So then comes the part of the teaching we don't like. First we will limp and blah. And we got into the practice and it develops a chutzpah. Even if he beats you on your head and you have a stroke, it's still chutzpah. It comes the second part of the journey, which requires reverse action. No longer heroic attitude. What is that? Hmm? It's the shift from Rinzai to Soto. To maintain that heroic attitude is pure ego. So you have to let it go. But there's a fear if I let go of that, then the flat tire won't get fixed and the clogged toilet won't get fixed. And the broken water boiler won't get fixed. And the reason is because within that heroic attitude is a strong sense of desire. I will enlighten all beings. I will. I will. I will. And once we let go of the realization that we can function without desire, another approach takes place. There's a reverse action. We recognize that there is another energy, another force, another activity taking place that can motivate things without our ego being involved. This is a difficult shift. Mm -hmm. All addictions Oddly enough, whatever addiction is, has at its root a passive-aggressive behavior. You should look at that. I'll drink enough poison to kill you. Right? I'll drink all this whiskey and you'll die. Passive-aggressive. Take a look at that. Sentient beings are primarily all Buddhas. You hear that a lot in Zen practice. Suzaki said that to me one time. Sentient beings are all Buddhas. I said, so what? He went furious. They gave a whole lecture on, no, so what, no, so what. <laughs> but so what? Sentient beings are primarily all Buddhas. So what? 
What are we going to do with that information? What do you want to do with that? You and God are not separate. You and Buddha are not separate. Your activity and the activity of the Absolute are not separate. All this information is delicious, wonderful, great. I mean, you can fill up filing cabinets full of it. But if you don't have an open heart, it's all a lot of crap. Without an open heart, it's just a lot of nonsense. More information on top of information on top of information. A living Buddha without an open heart is an obscenity. <laughs> now, we wake up to the fact that we're a living Buddha and we have an open heart. What's the next step? It's always that. You always got to come back the next step, the next step, the next step. Until the mind completely runs out. There's nothing left. Mm -hmm. This is what they mean when they talk about emptiness. An empty mind. A mind that's not grasping, trying to take hold of, taking possession of. That's all ego. Even if you want to become a saint, it's still ego. Wanting to become a saint is ego. Real saints don't want to become saints. They're just busy doing what they got to do to help the guy next door. They're not thinking, oh, if I do this, then I'll get my sainthood. If you're working that way, you're not going to become a saint. Saints are working from a non-ego position, from an open-hearted position. <laughs> That's all. In Zen practice, is there an aspect of Zen practice that is vicarious? I don't know what that means. That even though the whole world isn't in the Zendo with us, us doing what we're doing here and being here meditating is helping them vicariously. Of course it is. Absolutely. There's a little child in Indonesia right now who's getting benefit out of our practice. You lose sight of that, your practice is going to suffer radically. There's a little girl nine years old in Indonesia right now getting benefits out of what we're doing sitting here. I don't know a name. How is that? How, How is that? Nice. <laughs> <laughs> but why is she benefiting? When Hitler got his gang together and they took a bunch of Jews, six million, and put them in the oven. We are still suffering now, today, from that. How is that? Not nice. No, that's <laughs> not nice. 
But how is that, that something that took place 50 years ago is still now here affecting us? How is that? Well, I'm just answering with reverse. There's no separation. There's no separation. One of the problems at the base of what I was talking about today is waking up to the fact that in life there's an enormous amount of compromise. I want to sing and dance and play naked in the rain, and if I do, I get arrested for indecent exposure. In other words, my human body, as it is, is dirty and disgusting and indecent. And if you let people see it, you get arrested. Well, now I got a message. This is a filthy, dirty, disgusting thing that's not to be seen, must be kept covered up. This compromises over and over and over and over. I don't like my boss. I don't like my boss, but I want to raise. Come here, boss's ass. Compromise, compromise. Over and over and over. And the root of compromise is the survival instinct. If I don't kiss the boss's ass, if I don't compromise and kiss his ass, I won't get ahead and we won't survive. I can't pay the bills, the mortgage will be behind and I'll be in trouble. There's this constant gain. Now, that's all within the box of conventional wisdom. There's an option in this game. You step outside the box of conventional wisdom. Then they call you an eccentric, a weirdo, out of control. And unemployed. Perhaps. Absolutely perhaps. There was a fella named Steve Shriver, a friend I had upstate New York. He was a teacher in Albany. One day he walked into the class and he wrote on the blackboard, I hate this job. He walked out and never went back. He bought himself a van traveled all around the country and ended up in Florida. And he opened up a lawn mowing business. He had one customer, a little old lady, who called him in one day and said, Steve, you see my condition. I'm old, incapacitated, and I don't have a person in the world to help me. No family. If you move into the house, help me out when I die, you can have it. He moved in. Six months later, she dropped dead. That's murder, isn't it? Oh. Lost his job. I walked out. I hate this job. He stepped out of the box. Conventional wisdom is... He stepped out. Now, the story could have ended up, he went to Florida and ended up on the skid row. You don't know. You don't know. So 
So that's what keeps us in the box. Did you hear the book uh, named Starbucks Saved My Life? It was, I saw a special on it, and there was this guy, and he was an ad executive. He grew up with money. He was what? An ad executive. He grew up with money. He graduated from Yale. And he was in his early 50s when he was fired. He couldn't get a job being that old in advertising. His wife divorced him. He lost pretty much everything. He spent all of his savings. And one day he walked into Starbucks depressed. And they were hiring. The lady comes up to him and says, would you like a job? And he said, yes. And he said, I was embarrassed. I was humiliated. And I was scared to death that I would fail. So he takes the job. And he loves it. He moves into a little attic apartment. He says, I've never been happier. And Tom Hanks calls him and says, I want to buy your story. And so now he has the book. He's coming out with a movie. And he went from the worst part of his life to the best. Harry Potter. <laughs> the lady. But the thing is, Conventional wisdom says, no, no, no. And it may be right. I hate this job, and now I'm living on the Bowery as a bum. <laughs> Let's stay with conventional wisdom. I hate my boss. I hate my job. I don't want to brush my teeth. I don't want to make the bed. Everything sucks. My heart's closed up in a knot. I can't breathe, but... Uh, uh, it's a social security job, or what do you call it, social service job, and I'm guaranteed a pension. But I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I'm dying. But I have a pension. But if I step out, I may end up in the Bowery. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you going to do? Are you going to stay in that survival mode, or are you going to take the chance of thriving? And even if you're on the Bowery, you may not feel that you're stifled. And 90 times out of 100, when you step out, you don't end up on the Bowery. There's been a lot of writing about people who have to go down to the Bowery to <coughs> find themselves. That if, if they didn't go through that process of letting themselves fall, they would never be able to pick themselves up and find who they are and what they want out of life. That's my story. I used to sleep in a doorway in the Bowery. So the 10% who wind up in the Bowery didn't lose the lottery of life. They just had to take the path that they had to Well, take. here's a sad story, but true. Sad story, but true. You have to hit bottom before you give up the addiction to conventionality. When you find out that taking the conventional path doesn't work, 
you may have to have a lot of pain to discover that it doesn't work. Bill Gates took the conventional path. He went to Harvard. They said, this sucks, this don't work, and he quit. Harvard doesn't work for me. He found a better way. You may have to hit bottom. There may be an awful lot of pain that you invested in something that isn't going to pay off, and you have to make a change. How many parents say to their children, my son, I really think you should be a Buddhist monk. In this neighborhood? <laughs> Not many. Not many. I'll give you another one. How many parents say to their son, my son, you should live a life that is happy, joyous, and free? In this neighborhood? Same neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> but you got to think about that. Yes? This isn't valued. This is stupid. Now, here's the kicker, and this is important. The definition of meditation. This is important. Everybody has something up here that says, this is the correct form of meditation. Even on those eight noble paths, it says right meditation. What is that? What is that? I had a fellow upstate I was good friends with, George Monahan. I knew him from Brooklyn. Hated the idea of meditation. He was a ski instructor in a, on a safety patrol. So that's meditation if you use it properly. Now you're all going to say, oh good, I get the hell out of here, I don't have to do this crazy shit and I can go fly an airplane and meditate. <laughs> if you've been drawn here, it's because there's something in you that feels the rightness of this. But this ain't the only way. Don't get trapped. Don't get trapped in here about what meditation is. Hmm? I can't have a pleasant, funny, enjoyable thought. I'm meditating. <laughs> I must be constipated when I'm meditating. <laughs> if some black Baptists went into a Catholic church, they probably turned white and dropped dead. I mean, it's so stoic, so somber, so joyless. What's wrong with happy, joyous, and free? What's wrong with it? Well, you know, <laughs> when I was young, I went to church and we had a folk group. And I said, well, I guess I'll go to church every week. I might as well play in the folk group because there's no chance in hell of sitting out there. So we had a great time. 
When I was a young man and never been kissed, I got to thinking over what I had missed. I got me a girl, I kissed her, and then, and then, oh Lord, I kissed her again because she had kisses sweeter than wine. No, you can't do that. That's all. Thank you for the teachings. Thank you. Thank you for the memories. May I respectfully remind you life and death are of supreme importance. Time swiftly passes and opportunity is lost. Each of us must awaken. Awaken. <coughs> Take heed. Do not squander your life. Sangha relationships become complete. May my Zen center flourish. Um, one moment. The uh, speaking of the begging bowl, we need an additional four hundred dollars.